Sound Pages is a literary series featuring resident artists in the Jack Straw Writers Program. To try to contain anything is to rid it of water. Admit that. The water is rising. This program features the work of 2021 writer Patricia Humienik. In the first half, you'll hear her conversation with curator E.J. Coe. Welcome, Patricia. I feel so lucky to get the chance to talk to you about your work. Can you tell us about your Jack Straw project? Yeah, thank you so much. I'm really excited to be in conversation with you, E.J., uh, your work means a lot to me. For Jack Straw, I've been working on a project that is, I guess, my first book of poems. It's growing out of a chapbook project that was called We Contain Landscapes. And that project was sort of a beginning attempt at grappling with some questions that I suspect are going to be with me for maybe the rest of my life around home and naming and longing and sort of digging into that, starting to. And lately, I feel like I've been trying to dig deeper with this book project and see sort of the connections between some of those questions that I have about what home means and all that. And the the thing that I keep coming back to lately is sort of a question about devotion and what that means, how that connects to questions I have about desire and you know devotion in like a more sensual context with like a lover but also devotion in a religious context which is a complex one that I've avoided writing about for a long time with having inherited a, a religious tradition growing up Catholic and also having a lot of trouble with organized religion and um, as a as a queer person as a person who's troubled by like the violent legacy of the Catholic Church so I'm finally um, trying to write into things I've been avoiding writing <laughs> for a long time in short. Um, but I feel excited about the way that this question of devotion connects to questions I have about home and naming and longing. I was really excited to read your work and to also read uh, how much you've been thinking about being a poet, and you say within the creative community, which I just love. Um, as a part of your writing life, as you say, co-creating dynamic spaces that highlight the work of other writers and artists. And I'd love to hear more about that, being a working artist and poet in your creative community. You said you haven't been here in Seattle for very long, but it seems like you're just surrounded and deep in it. <laughs> oh, cool. But yeah, thanks for saying that. And I feel really lucky that I've yeah, connected with such brilliant people. And I think having grown up, my uh, relationship to dance and other art making that has been really collaborative like that has sort of shaped maybe that orientation toward writing where I've, I've never really believed that it's a solitary endeavor. I think because art making for me always involves many people, even if it's just like in relationship through reading people's books and being in conversation that way, there are always other minds involved. And so I think that was an orientation that 
dance and and music deepened for me greatly. And then I came here really hungry. Um, it's just such an appetite to grow in my writing life because it's something I knew as a child that I wanted to pursue. And then for various reasons, sort of um, stepped away from writing for a while. And I think I came to Seattle ready to like claim myself as a writer more. So that was something that helped me orient in that way. And then I think in terms of what's then happening is thanks to getting involved with organizations like the Seventh Wave, which is all about like art at the intersection of social issues, getting to be events director with them and help make things happen with writers in the community. That's another artist that's been a way um, getting to have some interview experiences. All of that has been really exciting to me. And I really love the idea of just knowing like, who am I in conversation with? Where do I live? What's, what's, what are the conversations creatively in the place that I live and how can I find out more about them? And I'm just like very love so many people and I'm very curious and that's just comes naturally to me to want to know more about what people are working on. So I think that's part of it. Um, pre COVID having that opportunity in person a little bit to start to learn what people are working on here. I'm really interested in the way you talk about knowing, these knowings uh, you have, and it seems like one of them is language. Uh, language comes up quite a bit. Can you talk about your relationship and connection to language? Is language a kind of knowing for you as well? Yes, I think that language is so interesting when you grow up with multiple languages. I grew up speaking Polish and I then had the privilege to study Spanish as well. And I think poetry has always been a way in which I've sort of started to learn about the many layers to and limits of language, I think. And that excited me since I was little, seeing sort of like the hinting through sound at other kinds of meaning beyond language, but the material was the language, you know, that made the sound. And um, But I mention other languages to say that growing up speaking another language like really quickly oriented me to the limitations and failures, like what gets lost in translation, what can't maybe can't be translated. So I, I have um, a lot of questions about language as a way of knowing um, when there are so many languages in the world and when my own, you know, sort of first language that I'm not even sure I can claim as my first language, Polish, because I actually read and write and speak so, so much more in English. Yeah, when that connection itself is so fraught, but then it's also my name is Polish, it it, it makes me ask a lot of questions about language as a form of knowing. And so that's a long way of saying I'm not sure. I think that language is definitely a fascinating like connector. Wow. I'd love to hear, you know, what are some of the biggest epiphanies you've had and you've experienced based on your work and your personal writing journey? You know, what are the lessons that really stick to you? Hmm. It's been a really rich few years of that. I think because in part I took this time away where I wasn't writing as much and I denied almost that part of myself for a while even though and when I look back actually writing was a part of my life and 
in various ways that I maybe wasn't giving myself credit for, but I kind of, you know, created this idea in my head that I had moved away from this, you know, childhood plan to be a writer. And in the last few years, ever since I decided to claim that, and there've been a lot of epiphanies, some of them, you know, bordering on some of the kind of like cringy self-help stuff you hear that I, I cringe at sometimes too, the things that sound overly simple, you know, and sometimes because the way that they're framed is in a context that doesn't take into account the layers of privilege and power and all of that. So I I definitely, um, you know, have, have had moments in my younger years of sort of rolling my eyes at, at things like that sound overly simple. But yeah, these last few years, some of those seemingly simple things like just claiming who you are, really like learning who I am and what I want trying to own that more has been a huge epiphany and on the page I get to sort of be more daring I think I'm still learning how to be take more risks on the page and that's still new to me but even though on the page I, I want to be even riskier it's still a place where I'm I'm grappling more and being braver sometimes than I am in my in my daily life at times and so writing has been this the space for that and that's been an epiphany to see the ways in which Writing just feels like important for stepping into myself more fully and that I also have to claim being a writer more fully so that I can even have the experiences like this one. And I, I think I think that's been a big epiphany for me was even starting to say like to show up and meet people when I'd moved here and and be able to say like I'm a writer and, and realizing that that's what I, I need to give myself that permission that no – you know, now I'm publishing more and that's very exciting, but I, I have to check myself and, and remember that that's not what legitimizes me actually. And and not, I'm always going to want, I'm human. I, I want more. I do want a book in the world. I have these things that I hope for, but if I keep letting something else, some, the next thing is going to be the thing that makes me a real writer, I feel like I'm always going to be waiting. I have these other questions for you. And actually, I want to go a different direction. I want to, um, I was also born and raised in a pretty strict Catholic family household with immigrant, an immigrant family, strictly Catholic in the Bay Area. And I mean, I'd love to hear about your, how that has affected you and your work and, and your experience in that faith. Hmm. You know, there are all these incredible religious traditions around the world, and I think they offer us in like our human questions about living so much to learn from. And I, I get suspicious, too, of sometimes the the dismissal of, of religion as well. So I'm sort of turning to and trying to learn to turn to writers that are grappling with that. But it's a funny thing where I, I could see myself having very different thoughts on it uh, throughout my life. And that is giving me some learning in terms of writing. What does it mean for me to be willing to be wrong in my work or to disagree with myself later? And I think that's only something that I'm starting to, I don't know if get comfortable is the word because it still makes me nervous, but it makes me think of this um, passage I can't get out of my head from Jenny Shia in the, in the book I Level, where she says something like, um, I've quoted it before, but hopefully I won't misquote it. She says, um, 
oneself prunes violently at all the others thinking she's the gardener or something amazing like that that just for me I think I connect that to my experience of religion because I've had all these past selves grappling with these ideas of religion and I don't want to say that you know the 10 year old who in this poem I mentioned cried thinking that God was streaming in through the window. I don't want to say she is wrong, you know. <laughs> now we'll hear a selection from Patrizia's live reading. Anchor Baby. I keep close the intonation of my name, spoken in my mother's voice. There was a time I let people mispronounce it. I don't remember the sound of my grandfather's voice. I've lost the word for the flower I could be, impatient blossom. Used to never wear lipstick. Now I smear shades of azalea on my lips. I kiss everything. I leave a mark. Invocation, as in a prayer I want to repeat. The physicality of it. Prayer, kissing, echoes of a younger me trying to be approved of. I'm not saying I am better now. I look up how to say anchor in my first language. Once I didn't need to search. Kotfitsa. My mama gave birth to me a month after my parents arrived in the States. It was her first time on a plane. I know nothing of ground, of letting the ship sleep. I fly for hours to visit. If I could bind myself to a place, put cut flowers in a vase, I would thank my mother that way. Instead, I pour the petals out. Continental Drift. I leave a place to return to a change in light, temperature, mind. No matter how nagging the call, we are made greater by flight. And isn't greatness something to fear? Opposites tug forever at my limbs, each continent of desire drifting, no fracturing, not quite bone. Not quite land, salt, pulled smooth from crooked teeth in every, ask someone to say my name again. Feel the name shaped new in a lover's mouth, in a stranger's mouth, the rapture, less contained. No, it's nothing like a continent, chasm in probable time, the hours a letter sealed, Address to self, devotion, I open. I found a lover and we left the city, temporarily. Crackle of the fire said as much. Temple into the sprawl of limbs, which came later. First, the alchemists. Oysters we ate quietly as we could, laughing, not saying a word, eyes full of language. And it wasn't that no one had ever touched me before, 
but it had never been like this, tunnelless. Not a search for a prize, zippered pearl to coax out of grieving. Not the scarcity of hardship or the dismissal of it, but we did look up, air glow, sky a cicatrix, purpling, paler, damage, and the need to undo it, not to fix, but to unribbon the past. My mama grew up in a rural place, rolling hills of jade. My name betrayed her wish to leave that lack. Shlahetnia urodzona, desire for wealth and its associated ease. I don't blame her for using a name like a tool for weeding. I too prune and tug at my story, but she wanted me to live up to my name. And for that, I might blame her. I learn other names, plants that please me, forsythia, hyacinth, pyracantha, my lover, gives me a dried bouquet. I prefer weeping, willow, even seaweed, something of water. I want not to say this, but to be understood with my eyes, the way I was for a moment by the fire. But some lovers are not for lasting, though that part comes later. If I must, I tell the truth. Those poems are among the five in the anthology. And the next poem is from a series of night poems with a character called Night. Cargo. Night arrives at the door with a lidded platter of chocolate chip cookies, vegan since you can't have dairy, unlaces their boots and sits across from me, responds to my raised, how did you find me in the woods, eyebrows? I knew you'd be here trying to clear your head, crossing and uncrossing their limbs, hair spiraling up toward the ceiling as they stand to stretch them down on the floor, telling me to come press my back against the ground. So I do, and we stare up where the paint cracks, the rafters making a triangle. I press my heels into the ground, feel my back rollicking into a momentary bridge to let invisible ships pass, then lower the arch, the lock, this fixed chamber, trying to lengthen, trying to will breath into recurring ache, the ships having taken their cargo elsewhere. I say, I don't want any more stuff. And Knight says, I know, and I'm crying, and we've got chocolate in our teeth. And when I wake, I'm alone again, not far from sea. Tides, where fresh water meets sea, gumweed and pickleweed sweat salt, the sloughs a hunting ground for the heron who walks staccato, later glides over water with an ease I envy. Little birds whose names I don't know, their underbellies or wings marked by a shock of color swoop and flutter. It is hot after weeks of cloud, weeks of Zoom, stomach, email, ears, ringing, safe at home, interrupted sleep, relentless mass death, scrolling. Disassociation is one way to survive. Twice daily, the estuary is flooded with salt at high tide, draining twice at low. Oh, tenderness, I'm walking toward you. Why are you pulling away? 
obliteration. Page, blossom, chapel, say, suspend, time, the flickering logic, open your mouth, your palms, witness what hands won't hold, softer, not the representation of. Floodplain. It isn't that the flood rids us of memory, no. It shapes memory. Like dough, cracks our knuckles. Across the Atlantic, my aunts and uncles rise early for the blessing later. Anoint tired, thirsty skin with oil after a day's work. That's elegance to me. Drought or torrent, someone works the land. Along the Pacific, someone picks fruit I know the name of. Don't you ever wish to stay in bed for days? Touch a deluge, eroding structure, toppling every monument, capacity for violence held. To try to contain anything is to rid it of water. Admit that the water is rising. Thank you. Sound Pages is a Jack Straw production produced by Alyssa Keene and Daniel Gunther at Jack Straw Cultural Center. Our recording engineers are Daniel Gunther, Joel Maddox, and Ayesha Ubiatilaka. Our theme music is by Andrew Weathers, produced in part through the Jack Straw Artist Support Program. The 2021 curator of this program is E.J. Coe, and the narrator for this podcast is Alyssa Keene. The Jack Straw Writers Program was inspired by an over-the-back fence conversation in 1996 between author Rebecca Brown and Jack Straw Executive Director Joan Rabinowitz. The program is made possible with support from the City of Seattle Office of Arts and Culture, Four Culture King County Lodging Tax Fund, the Washington State Arts Commission, Humanities Washington, the National Endowment for the Arts, the Rainier Foundation, Arts Fund, and individual contributors. Special thanks to Michael Folks and Cecilia Ayers for transcribing our writers' interviews. All of the writers heard in this series are published in the Jack Straw Writers Anthology. You can subscribe to this and other Jack Straw podcasts through your favorite podcast app. To hear more episodes and learn about our other programs, visit us at jackstraw.org. Thank you for listening. <laughs>